to our look at counterfeit gospels tonight. We are going to look at the moralistic gospel. The moralistic gospel. I want to start maybe with some conversation here. Um, I'm going to make a statement. I want you guys to respond to it. And that is, I believe the moralistic gospel is the greatest danger to us specifically, culturally, in the South. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Culturally, where we are in the South, I believe the moralistic gospel is the greatest danger uh, to actually um, straying away from the true gospel. So I'm going to throw that out there, and I want you to uh, maybe talk about why you think that is. Uh, why do you think I'm, um, I'm turning to this one to say this is our greatest danger? What thoughts do you have about this? Okay, um, we're gonna we'll we'll dig into the fine details of it, but essentially, um, moralistic meaning um, that our gospel hope is based upon our ability uh, to uphold certain moral values that we uh, want to adhere to, uh, whatever those are for individuals or a culture. So, why would that be a specific danger for us in the American South? In general, sure, sure. That's at the heart. That's at the essence of a moralistic gospel. It's about what we're doing, not what God has done. So, this is certainly a problem for all mankind, but I think specific to our culture because we do live in a place where um, everyone is a Christian, right? <laughs> Right. Sure, sure. We're right in. We're right in what uh, has been termed the Bible Belt. So that's the Southern states, uh, Texas, Utah. It kind of goes across in this sort of strip. So um, I'll, I'll draw this comparison too. And uh, I grew up in Colorado. Uh, there were an abundance of Mormons there. Um, what are Apart from their really strange theology, what are Mormons known for? Okay, very, very strong family values. What did you say, Scott? Sure. So they have a lot of children, and they care for them, they love them, uh, and uh, they they do a lot of, they refrain from a lot of things, <laughs> right? Uh, and... Um, and all of that is a desire to, in their minds, to please God. Um, I would argue that the, uh, the false gospel of Mormonism is very much the same as the moralistic gospel of, um, of the South. Um, because Mormons are born into the Mormon church and they adhere to the principles that they're given, uh, so you don't drink caffeine and you wear certain clothes and not other certain things and uh, you can eat certain things and not others. So um, all of these elements play into who they are as a people. Uh, very much, uh, you, you, can ask, uh, you can ask probably most of your neighbors and most of them would tell you they are Christians. If you add to that 
another question and say, well, uh, tell me what does that mean? Well, what do most people around us think it means to be a Christian? Okay, they believe, I believe in Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Right. Yes, Earl? Believe. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's, yeah. I believe, or they'll even take it, I believe Jesus died for my sins. Okay? So it's a free pass to go do what I want. <laughs> right, what else? Okay, I was six. I walked down the aisle of that Baptist church. I took the preacher's hand. I said a prayer. And the next week he baptized me. I am a Christian. Sure, absolutely. Uh, that certainly is the teaching of Roman Catholicism. Uh, and there are others uh, uh, that believe that if you're baptized as an infant, it really doesn't matter what goes on the rest of your life. When you die, you're, you're good to go. I think we can sum it up like this. Uh, at least outwardly. And this is why it's such a, a farce, and everybody knows it, if you really think about it. Uh, outwardly, it's the, um, it's the mentality of, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't date girls who do. That's kind of the moralistic mentality. There are certain things I don't do. Uh, but the very uh, reality of it is that those things uh, probably are done. Uh, they're just not done outwardly so everyone can see them. Um, it is, and uh, I think I've lived here long enough to be able to say this. I think the idea of southern hospitality by and large is also a hoax. Why? Because it's very external so we've we've developed uh, we've developed certain things that we can say and do to make it look as it does externally, but uh, b- but we feel good about um, as soon as someone leaves, perhaps we can start to talk about them. But as long as we end that conversation with bless her heart, we're good to go. Right. So I I don't I don't. I don't blanket that across everybody. I think they're um, uh, generally why I, I'm, I've stayed here for nine years for good reason. We, we love it here and the people here. But I think that Christianity has built into a culture just enough to where there's been an inoculation of Jesus. By that, I mean, what's an inoculation? Well, when you get the smallpox vaccination, um, you get just a little bit of of. Uh, what's cowpox, really? They give you a tiny dose of it so when the real thing comes that your body is able to fight it off. Uh, we've been inoculated culturally with Jesus. Most people in our culture have had just enough Jesus to think they get it. Uh, but they've never actually gotten the real deal. And when the real deal comes, that inoculation fights it off. Um, and that's where we are culturally. Now, part of this plays into where we are as mankind and our condition. As people who are born in the image of God, what are some, uh, what are some of the uh, absolutes that we, are, uh, that we are innately uh, born with? There's certain things that we are always um, going, no matter our condition, we are going to say that certain things um, aren't fair. 
or certain things are good and certain things are bad. Why? What's going on in all of that? Why does a child, if something happens, a child says, that's not fair. Why do our children say that? Okay, maybe they're selfish. But what is going on? They are created in God's image, and God is what kind of God? He's, he's jealous for his glory, but in the end, um, in, in some regard, God, we would look at and say God is, is fair. Uh, ultimately, he is because God is, uh, God is just, right? As those created in God's image, we are created with a sense of justice. We want to see justice. And we talked about this uh, last week, I believe. Why? Because God created us with that desire to see justice because he desires justice. God will see perfect justice in the end. And so uh, there is a sense of wanting certain things to be a certain way because God has created us in his image. The problem being that it's fallen, and as a result of it being fallen, it doesn't play itself out in the way uh, that is biblical. So uh, let's look at some specifics of what moralism looks like and how it plays out in our lives. Uh, First, is getting right with God without actually defining who God is. Um, Maybe someone can share if you have an idea or this is somewhere you've been. Um, Who here uh, thought they were a Christian before they actually were? Okay. Does anyone want to share what was going on in your understanding? Why was that? So we, you know, probably uh, just enough Jesus to make us feel like everything's okay. So this is, uh, you're, you're, you both have defined exactly where we're at. That we have this idea that we need to do certain things to be right with God, uh, but we don't actually know who God is. Why? Well, because we... Uh, knowing who God is takes a little bit of work. <laughs> it takes a little bit of study. It takes some time to dig into the scriptures and have a greater understanding of God's character, God's attributes, God's nature. Now, we are culturally, not just Southern, but American culture, we want everything that we want uh, quickly, uh, easily, and uh, without too much, uh, too much pain to get there, right? So to, um, to put myself underneath anything that's going to expose to me uh, the brokenness, the hurt, the shame, all of those things that exist as a result of my own sinful nature, um, I don't innately desire that. I don't want those things exposed. And so I will settle for something that will appease Uh, what I think is uh, appropriate or necessary in order to please God. So church attendance um, and uh, maybe even on top of that, uh, a Bible study once a week, um, a Sunday school class. Um, 
I, I, don't, I don't smoke, I don't drink alcohol, I don't do this, I don't do that. Whatever it is that I'm not doing these things, I am doing these things, I'm okay. But again, we're resting on this reality of what I'm doing. I have no clue about who God is. No idea about who God is. Um, so, often we will hear the language of maybe even repentance. We may hear the language of turn to Jesus, run to the cross, whatever it is, but why? What has he accomplished? What has he done? Who am I? What have I done? Those dots are not always connected so that we understand. And so uh, the idea of Claiming the gospel and all of its promises in Christ is completely detached from the idea of here's who God is, here's his character, here's his nature, and why all of that matters. And this is at the heart of moralistic gospel. It's, it's completely void of the reality of who is God. Very, very important. Moralism also is proclaiming good advice Instead of good news, what's the difference? What's the difference between good advice and good news? Good advice is you telling me what I should or shouldn't do. And maybe, maybe it is truly good. Maybe what you're telling me is, uh, is wise and everything else. Uh, but something's missing, and that is the good news that, um, uh, that it has already been done. <laughs> It has already been done. So we'll hear a lot of things that is an emphasis on rules and other things that Christians should do to be good Christians because morality has become the essence of Christianity. So we turn the good news into good advice. Um, So uh, very quickly we'll run from what a biblical passage actually says to hold up some moral objective. And once we hold that up, we're going to spend the next 30 minutes talking about how to adhere to that. Um, I remember early on as a child that my understanding of uh, what it meant to be a Christian was to, uh, to consider all the sins that I have in my life, these things that continue in my life, and uh, to literally, I think someone told me to do this, was to just make a, make a list of those things. And then one by one, I was going to work through those things. Uh, so if I had a specific, uh, I was, I don't know what sins you have at 10 years old. If I uh, was uh, lying all the time, I was going to write down lying. And so my objective was I was going to work hard to not lie anymore. Well, what's the problem with that? I'm going to fail. And what happens when my understanding of being a good Christian is not lying anymore and I fail? What happens? Okay, I've, I've failed as a Christian, therefore um, God is upset with me. He's, give me one of these deals. He's, he's angry with me. He's throwing his hands up. Saying, when are you going to get it? When are you going to figure it out? Uh, God is just kind of um, frustrated with me all the time because I can't live up to this standard. And so we've turned it into this, here's what we need to do, 
Um, but the problem is that we're never going to get there. Now, let me give you some examples of what this looks like, because that's a pretty uh, in-your-face one. But um, there's a difference between us saying, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, what uh, God says about the roles of wives and husbands and children. Uh, end of 5, beginning of 6. What is a wife... How is a wife to respond to her husband? How is a husband to respond to his wife? How are children supposed to respond to their parents? How are fathers supposed to respond to their children? All of this comes directly from the biblical text. There's a difference between that and saying, uh, let's, um, let's have, a, uh, let's have a, a, a series on uh, five ways that we can improve your family life. And, uh, and in that... Uh, we will maybe take a, uh, a principle that we've uh, derived from scriptures, perhaps, and we launch into a, uh, a diatribe on practical advice of what, uh, what we feel like that might look like. Um, th- the problem is that we've divorced it from what the Word is saying, here are the roles, and, uh, and God is uh, calling us to do those and is giving us the grace in order to, and in the end, when we fail at them, he's saying, Christ has accomplished all of this on our behalf. Versus, um, I'm going to give you my commentary on what I think is a good way to, uh, to have your, your marriage going, not rooted in the Scriptures. This is what we need to constantly come back to, is moralism is ultimately not rooted in what the Bible is teaching. Moralism is rooted in, uh, the good advice of people who um, can make uh, can make a list by which we can go by it is list Christianity. I do these things i don 't do these things i 'll have a good marriage. If I do these things and don 't do these things i 'll be a good parent or whatever it is, um, our legal hearts. Our desire to um, to please God by doing certain things and not doing others is always going to be at war against the good news of the gospel. It is good advice, Christianity. So good advice sells books, but the gospel changes hearts. Uh, if you want good advice, um, you might as well just watch um, daily talk shows. Uh, good advice is very popular. It's very popular. Uh, many, many people turn to that. If you go to a bookstore, uh, the section on good advice, self-help, is much larger than the section on biblical Christianity. And even in that, you've really got to search for the good stuff. Um, so good advice is popular, but the gospel is powerful. It's the very thing which God uses for transformation. The moralistic gospel seeks to begin with the grace of God. I, I, will, uh, I will say I've never heard a moralistic preacher um, not talk about the fact that we are saved by grace. The problem is everything they say after that doesn't relate. So to say we're saved by grace through faith apart from works of the law is one thing. But for everything else to relate back to that is a complete different thing. So if I say we're saved by grace through faith apart from works of the law, and then I spend the next 20 minutes hammering all of us about um, how, how often did you read your Bible this week? How many, how many hours did you spend in prayer? 
How much time did you spend serving the church and doing this and that? Now, are any of these bad things? No. Do we need accountability in these things? Yes. But what is my hope, my salvation, my satisfaction resting in? Is it the fact that I've done those things? At the end of the day, I can say, I read my Bible, I prayed, I made a few phone calls, I visited a few people, I, uh, I'm going to church Sunday, I went Wednesday night. I'm, is that what our Christian life is filled up with? Or are we resting in Jesus, which looks more like, I'm doing these things, why? Why do, why, how can we hold this tension? Let me put it that way. These things are good and important and things that the Bible points us to and says we need to do these things. Uh, so the, the disciplines of the Christian life. How do we hold that tension with uh, we're saved by grace through faith apart from works of the law? Same question Paul had to answer in Romans when they said, Paul, if this grace that you're preaching is true, then why don't we just go out and sin all the more so grace may abound? And he said, don't do that by no means. Um, so how does that tension get held? How do we do that? Okay, good. So the heart desire is very different. Earl, what were you going to say? Good. A while ago, I shared a quote from Martin Luther when a man came to him after preaching the grace of the gospel. And the man said, uh, Martin, if what you're saying is true, then we can do whatever we please. Uh, and Martin responded, you're right. Now, the question is, what do you please? Um, in other words, am I pleased to do these things because they're causing me to know more of God, to love more of God, to walk in more obedience to God because that's my desire? Or is my desire um, to do these things that I can appease God, essentially get Him off my back? What are we doing then? When I'm doing something to please God... What is my what is God's relationship to me all of a sudden? Okay, tit for tat, good. That's exactly right. I have put him in uh, in my debt. God, I read my Bible every day. I pray every day. I teach Sunday school. I do this. I do that. Um, why am I suffering right now? Why am I going through financial hardship? Why this? Why that? Because now my, uh, my salvation is rooted in my moralistic understanding. So the tendency is to begin with grace, to say that grace is how we are saved, but then we move into whatever, uh, whoever is proclaiming a moralistic gospel, whatever their, uh, their key issues are uh, in terms of, of uh, morals. Um, so I want to give you guys some examples maybe of what that uh, sounds like this is one of the reasons why moralism is so attractive to all of us uh, because it's a whole lot easier it's a lot easier for me to simply say don't do this, do this than it is to uh, plow right through the middle in the gray areas uh, and to work through those issues of liberty of conscience and things like that. Well, certainly, in the end, yeah, that, that's the biggest problem with moralism is that we're, we're trying to earn something by our good morals. 
Um, and that's why it is a tendency of every one of our hearts. Why? Because especially in American culture, how do you, how do you get ahead in our culture? Yeah. You pull up your boots and you get dirty and you work hard. You go in early and you stay late, right? That's how we get ahead in our culture. At least that's what we've been taught. So how does that go with the gospel of, listen, you don't do anything. It's already been done for you in Christ and you rest in him. And now as a result, you want to be doing certain things because it's drawing you near to him. There's, there's, the, there's where the conflict seems to rest for us. Again, what is my motive? Why am I doing these certain things? Because my desire is there. I want, I desire to read my Bible. I desire to be in prayer. I desire to be in the midst of God's people. Not, I'm doing these things so that uh, God is pleased with me or something along those lines. Yeah, we, as we probably all tell our children, you don't want what's fair. <laughs> you don't. What's fair? That I don't wake up tomorrow. What's fair is that God condemns me. Uh, so we don't want that. Um, so uh, I, I, a couple weeks ago, I gave my students, I gave them a test, and they didn't do so hot. Um, two of them did pretty well, but the rest didn't. And so I told them, uh, I'll give you guys an opportunity to retake the test. Uh, if you don't want to, fine, I'll give you the grade you got. Um, but you're going to get whatever grade you get on your, your retake. And I had to tell the ones who did well, listen, this is grace. You're going to look at that and say, I studied hard, I worked hard, I got the grade, I earned because of that. It's not fair that they get to retake it. Guess what? You're right. It's not fair, but it's grace. This is a lesson in grace. And you should want the best for your classmates. You should want to see them excel and progress and do well. And so the gracious attitude is to want what's not fair for them. Um, and so those are lessons that we can teach our children along the way of um, you deserve something, but I'm not going to do that for you. That's grace, and our mercy is tied up in that as well. So um, that is why it is so easy, because our hearts are always appealing to that. Um, so uh, he uses a great example in, uh, in the book uh, Counterfeit uh, Gospels, and talking about uh, what, uh, if you have a PC, uh, what happens at least once I got it today? Uh, you get some window that pops up so that you can update something, right? You need a new software update or whatever, your operating system, whatever. We get these windows that fly up all the time. Fix this, fix that, restart, whatever. Um, this is, uh, we can compare that to, that's the moralistic gospel at work. Our operating system constantly needs these updates. Why? Because we have to constantly go back to look at our checklist. Am I checking the right boxes so when I restart this thing over and over and over again that I'm, I'm on the right track? You guys ever been to a church where people are rededicating their lives to the Lord? What is that? That's moralism. Why are you rededicating your life? Well, because you were probably never saved in the first place. And if you were, you had a very shallow understanding of the gospel. And so what are we saying? I'm here to rededicate my life. I'm going to pull up my bootstraps 
and push ahead. That's moralism. Anything rooted in the idea of I'm going to do better and try harder is moralism. We hear it all the time. Um, So it typically sounds something like, um, of course we are saved by grace, but. Well, as soon as we add but to that, we're on very dangerous ground. Because according to Paul in Galatians, the gospel plus anything else is not the gospel at all. The gospel plus church attendance, the gospel plus Bible reading, the gospel plus fill in the blank, whatever it is for you, because we all have them. The gospel plus anything is no longer the gospel. Now, again, here's the danger of moralism. That plus whatever is usually something that is good and right. So, do Christians need to go to church? Well, yeah, you do. But, is that the means for my salvation? No. We've taken these things and reversed the order. So, what happens is, well, let's, um, let's define two words. This will be very helpful. What is justification? So, we are, we are constantly going to seek to, um, to find reasons why we're doing certain things. Uh, certain things we're gonna we are going to seek to find reason uh, for that um, and then try to uh, to find some biblical evidence for it when we talk in the biblical category of um, if I say we are we are justified by faith this is Paul's language we are justified by faith by grace through faith apart from works of the law what is he talking about there so we are, uh, this is a justified, justification, this is a legal term. There is a legal transaction that has taken place in the cosmic courtroom. We are justified. We are made right before God. How? Okay, through Jesus, what has he done? He's died in our place. He's taken the penalty from us. But what makes us right before God? It's not just that Jesus took the wrath. That is the, uh, that's the atonement. My sins have been atoned for. But then what, Earl? Okay, so he perfectly kept the law on my behalf and has given me something. What is it? His righteousness. Right. So... I'm not made righteous. I'm not a righteous person, and you aren't either. But I am declared righteous. So justification is the fact that my sins have been paid for, atoned for in Christ, and His righteousness has been given to me. So when the Father looks upon me, He says, not guilty, you are meeting my standard of perfection because i did it no but because christ did it for me and therefore it is his judgment on me is righteousness the imputation of christ's righteousness Uh, so that's justification what is sanctification okay it's that daily ongoing progressive process of being made more and more holy and if you're a christian i hope you see in your life you could look back a year or two years or five or ten years and say, the Lord's brought me a very long way. 
I have a, I have essentially, uh, what we're looking at is I have a greater understanding of who I am and the sin in my life. I have a greater understanding of who God is. Of who God is and what He has done and is doing. And so my, not only my knowledge, but my heart and my desires have grown more and more into Christ. So here's the problem. Here's where moralism fails. Is justification, which is in the in good southern vernacular, I got saved. Um, that's justification. That moment, that once in time moment where God justifies us. We are safe. We are secure in Him because of Christ's work on our behalf. Sanctification, an ongoing process that never stops until we die. Moralism reverses those two things. And moralism is saying we have to be sanctified before we can be justified. What's the problem with that? Okay, I will never, ever get there. Because I will never meet God's standard. What is God's standard? Be perfect because I am perfect. That's what he said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Um, we'll never get there. So moralism, and granted, I understand no one who's a moralist is going to use these words probably to say this is their worldview. But if you help them to see this, they're going to understand it eventually. Moralism is the idea that I need to clean myself up and keep myself clean so that I can approach Jesus. That's, uh, that's going to be a very difficult task. <laughs> You're never going to accomplish it. Versus the true gospel that says you're broken, you're sinful, you're sick, you're twisted, you need Jesus, and He will save you in that state of being. And once you are secure in Him, then He begins to work out that process of sanctification where you become more and more Christ-like. This is the very reason why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and behold, the new has come. Moralism reverses that and says, uh, the new has been uh, is getting worked out so that I can eventually put the old away. But I have to, I have to work out this process first. So the story of the moralistic gospel is our sinful condition is the individual sins that we commit. There's a huge difference. Gospel, biblical Christianity is that our problem is sin uh, singular. We are sinful creatures and we, uh, we operate in our nature of sin. Moralism's problem is sins, plural. So there's certain things I do that I just need to work through and get rid of. Huge difference. So the moralistic gospel is that we commit individual sins and that's a problem. So a redemption, our salvation comes through sheer willpower and determination that I'm going to do better and try harder. Uh, so the good news is spiritual instruction about what we can do to win God's favor and blessing on our earthly endeavors. Um, so the gospel then gets spiritualized in a lot of ways. Uh, moralism would take a story like um, Jesus on uh, the boat with the disciples. 
uh, Jesus is sleeping at the front of the boat. The wind and the waves uh, are are making a very uh, tempestuous, that's one of my favorite Bible words, uh, seas. They're getting tossed to and fro. Water's coming on board. Jesus wakes up. What's he do? He calms the wind and the waves. And what do the disciples say? Who is this man? Can even the wind and the waves obey him? What is that? Just someone tell us. What is that story about? What's, what's the, why is that in the Bible? What is, what is God showing us through that story? Okay, sure, good. So that's one principle from it that uh, the, the disciples looked at all this, they've seen all these things, and in the end, they still, uh, they still didn't get it completely. Good, what else? What's the, the grand, big picture, here's what this story is in the Bible about? What are we, what are we seeing here? The big picture is Jesus is God. Jesus has the power to do this. Um, have you ever heard something along these lines? Well, this story teaches us that when the seas are rising and the waves are beating down on us in our lives, that Jesus is going to be the one to come and help us calm the seas. We've spiritualized the gospel. We've spiritualized the story. Now who's it about? Is it about the power and force and ability of Jesus? No, now it's about me and Jesus doing something to make me feel better and to make me get to a place where um, everything can be worked out for uh, my satisfaction and my joy. It's no longer about the power of God. It's no longer about the power of Christ. So moralism will constantly do that because we have to get it back to a place where... uh, yeah, I have these problems. I can't get rid of them um, uh, very well. Jesus is going to help me sort all of that out in the end because he's going to calm my storms. Uh, David and Goliath is not, about, um, it is not about the power that God displays through David in, and uh, defeating uh, Goliath. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story that we moralize to say, um, so what are the giants in your life? How are you going to knock down the giants in your life? Um, the, uh, the story of uh, Noah's Ark, how is that taught to children in the end, typically? What is that about? Is it about the fact that uh, people were wicked and God wanted to eliminate all the earth, but he had grace, and in the end he saved a specific people that were a remnant that he would uh, carry on uh, the lineage through? Is that the story our children typically get when we understand Noah's Ark? That's right. Paul was in prison saying, I can go through this because Christ is with me and I'm enduring all of this because I was proclaiming the gospel and now I'm being persecuted. I can persevere in persecution because of the strength that Christ provides. Um, so I always I tell my students at the school... Um, what, the way that we use it typically is, um, what if, what if uh, two boxers are about to get into the ring and on both of their robes they have uh, Philippians 4.13 uh, embroidered? Who wins? <laughs> Does one of them not believe as much as the other? That's not what the verse is about. So, sure, we've, again, we've spiritualized um, this to the point of saying this is all about me and not about what God has done and is doing. So um, we're about out of time. Let me, let me share this with you. A good, uh, a good definition here for us to, uh, to think on. 
Moralism primarily attacks the gospel announcement by changing the news about Jesus into a motivation for changing your own life. This alteration leads to a twisted view of the fall as our problem becomes our sins, plural, other than our sin, singular. The Bible teaches that sin is a condition we are born with. Our sinful actions come from a wicked heart. The moralistic gospel casts us as good people battling sins, plural. You see the difference? One is a condition of the heart, therefore we need new hearts. Versus one is, I'm a good person and I just do some bad things and I need to stop doing those bad things. What's the problem there? The heart is never changed. It's always the same heart. I will never succeed at getting rid of these bad things. So we can go on and on about this because I think it is so prevalent in our culture. And here is a tendency, I'm going to be very honest with you and say, that um, as you read the Bible, uh, as you, uh, if you have opportunity to teach the Bible, whether it's to other, uh, other Christians, your children, whatever it is, um, and as I preach from the Bible, there is a strong tendency toward moralism. It's very easy to slip into moralism because it's very easy to say, do this, don't do this, instead of trust in the Lord, rest in Christ. Jesus has done it. You can't. There's a lot of freedom in that. There's a lot of freedom to say, God requires this, I can't do it, but Jesus did it, so now I walk in obedience because of what he's done in my life. It is so much easier for me to stand up here and say, you have to be at church every Sunday. (laughs) And if you're not, you're going to hell. (laughs) That's a whole lot easier than saying, we do these things out of obedience to God because we have a desire for those things. Preaching desire and liberty is a lot more difficult than saying, do this, don't do this. A lot easier. Um, so our tendency will always be toward moralism and that really plays into how we look at and view other Christians we really have to think hard and ask a lot of questions when we begin to look down at other believers because they do certain things that we don't necessarily like uh, because they may very well be in the category of liberty let me give you the big one here I was already mentioned Is drinking alcohol a sin in the Bible? No. What is? Drunkenness. Now, is there some... uh, Are there some things that Christians who partake in that liberty need to adhere to? Yes. They need to watch out for their weaker brother. They need not tempt others by what they're doing. They need to know who's around and what they're doing. The burden lies on them to be very, very careful about utilizing that liberty. And when they are, that they're very careful that they're not slipping into sin, which is drunkenness. But if you don't drink at all, and, uh, and you go to a Christian's house and you see that they have alcohol in the refrigerator, um, is the response, I don't drink, therefore I saw beer in your fridge and, uh, and you're making me sin or you're in sin because I don't drink. No. No, not at all. That tends to happen a a lot, um, but we have to be very, very careful 
as we are assuming motives and placing judgments on other believers who are walking in liberties that we may not uh, walk in. Again, the burden lies on the one who decides to walk in that liberty. And they have to ask a lot of questions. Remember when we went through 1 Corinthians, Paul had certain questions. Is it, is it necessary to do this? Is it helpful? Uh, if I'm partaking of this liberty, what are my motives? Uh, is there a tendency to walk in sin in that? And then in the end, am I watching out for my weaker brother, knowing that there may be a tendency for them to... Um, to sin as a result. Yes. Sure. Yeah. You can, something you can look up on, on YouTube. Um, there's a little video about that, the Ask Pastor John thing. But uh, in the end, um, if I don't do something and you do, doesn't necessarily mean that you're in sin. Um, we'll, leave it, we'll leave it at that. Um, we have to be very careful because that is the moralistic tendency. Any other thoughts or questions before we go? We could probably do a whole series on this counterfeit because it's so prevalent. This, I think, rests for most people. You know, we live in a country that, what is it? I forget the last poll was 70% of people or something say they're Christians. I think this is what the majority of that 70% rests on, moralism. Uh, I heard uh, Todd Friel. I don't know if you guys know who he is. He has a radio show called Wretched Radio. Um, he was talking the other day. He said, I assume there are about 6 7% of Americans are actually Christians. That's a sure indication <laughs> that uh, our neighbors probably uh, are not the Christians that they say they are. Not to, not to look at them down our noses and say, I'm a believer and you're not. But a gen- it should motivate a genuine desire to help them see the true gospel. To understand that just because you think you are a good person living a good life doesn't mean you are right with God. Um, that requires repentance and faith and resting in Christ. Um, so this is, uh, this is a very important one. Um, I reference it often either by name or at least in... Uh, in description in my preaching. I'm sure you've noticed that from time to time. So um, this is what we're, we're talking about. We, can, uh, we could go on and on about this and spend many weeks talking about moralism, but I think we have the, the basic foundation there. So let's, uh, let's pray. We're out of time. Lord, thank you. Um, thank you that you have revealed in your word what the gospel is, that we need not uh, be left to... Um, to wonder, to uh, to search, to um, to guess, to make attempts, uh, but that you have clearly laid out for us what the gospel is, and that you have, uh, by your grace, you have uh, you have decided to illumine that truth for us by the power of the Holy Spirit, to make known to us what the gospel is. Lord, not one of us in here is worthy of that. I pray, Lord, that not one of us has uh, any inkling of a thought that we are worthy of that. Uh, Lord, so I pray that 
understanding false gospels will motivate certain things within us. That our desire will be to, um, to be all the more adamant about understanding and resting in the truth of the gospel. That we will be all the more adamant about seeing others who are walking in a false understanding of the gospel rescued from that false teaching, from that false understanding. Lord, I pray for those in our community, our neighbors, our friends that are inoculated with Jesus, who are not truly in Christ, that we could help them to see and understand their need for the true gospel, that they would repent of their sin and rest in Christ, not seeking to clean themselves up, but to run to Jesus who can clean them up and sanctify them and make them to be holy before you. Lord, help us um, to, um, to see that need, to understand it, and to be all the more zealous to see men and women cling to the true Jesus. Lord, I pray uh, that um, those men whom you have in your churches uh, to preach the gospel, that you would make them faithful ministers of the true gospel and that the tendency toward moralism would be, um, would be snuffed out of our, uh, of our minds, of our sermon notes or whatever it is that we are doing to prepare that, um, that your people are hearing the pure, unadulterated gospel and not some, uh, some counterfeit that we've manufactured out of our legal hearts and our legal tendency um, to give do's and don'ts. Lord, help us to be obedient to your word, not because we want to uh, put you in our debt, but rather out of a desire, a desire to know more of you, to walk in uh, a, a pure relationship with you, knowing that what you have commanded of us is for our good, for our joy, and so that you would be glorified through us. Ultimately, Lord, let that be our desire, that you are glorified and we are not, that your power is made perfect in our weakness and that when we are weak, we are humble. And when we are humble, that we are strong because we are in Christ who has accomplished all for us on our behalf. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. I thank you for this time. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.